we can take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. It has been several months since we have been in this passage. So what I want to do is I want to read Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 17 down through verse 24 which is really a unit here in our passage. And in that unit, we're kind of going to begin to introduce it. And then, Lord willing, we'll look at it with a little more in-depth next Lord's Day, if the Lord will. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the fertility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. That, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Our text this morning, verses 20 and 21 But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. We've entered into this great mystery of God the Father. It is a mystery by which, if you look in Ephesians 1 verse 3, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. There is no lack. There is no deficiency in our blessing. As I mentioned when we went through there many times, say you're in a grocery store, you're in a checkout somewhere, you're purchasing something, they will say to you, have a blessed day. Every time they say that, I think of Ephesians 1.3. And what I want to say is, ma'am or gentlemen, I have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Every day is a blessing for those who are in Christ. There is no lack, there is no need. And this mystery of God the Father that has granted us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ 
This mystery is His will to bring into a summation everything in Christ. And you'll see that if you look at verse 9 of Ephesians 1. He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times that is this, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. So this is where history is going. This is where everything is being funneled into. Everything is being brought into a consummation, a summation, so that at the end of the day, all things will be in Christ and those things that are not in Him will be destroyed. That is the summation of everything. And this is His eternal purpose. If you look in Ephesians 3 and verse 9, Paul says, This grace had been given to Him to preach to the Gentiles these unfathomable riches of Christ those riches that are found in that mystery. Verse 9, And Paul's mission is to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, not just the knowledge of the mystery, but the very application of the mystery, or the working out of this mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God. And I remember as I was reviewing this, I thought, I just spoke to the Lord, I said, Lord, you do know how to keep a secret. (laughs) This has been hidden in Him for the ages, but now revealed. This God who created all things, verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God, that knowledge that is being worked out, the wisdom of its application, would be seen through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11, And all that is in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out when? In Christ Jesus. In other words, all of this is through the Son and all of this has been created and accomplished in Him specifically at his death, burial, and resurrection. How all that happened in that moment is mystery. But the fact is, is that all those things were created, we could even say this, have been accomplished, though we do not see it in history yet, have been accomplished in him. It is as certain as all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen to the glory of God the Father. To the Jew, this eternal purpose when Christ came was the confirmation of the promises that had been given to the fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those fathers in which the promises of that Abrahamic covenant were given, that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be what? Would be blessed. And folks, all the nations in the earth are blessed in Christ. 
all the spiritual blessings in him are amen to the glory of God. And Paul was a messenger of that message and of that mystery. And part of that mystery was something astonishing. It was that believing Jews and believing Gentiles are fellow heirs together of the promises. That they are fellow members of that one body. And they are fellow partakers of the promise that is in Christ Jesus. And all of this occurred at Calvary. If you say to me, Pastor, develop a series of messages that would not only proclaim the facts of what happened at Calvary, but all the ramifications of it, I would have to say to you, that's what I've been doing all these years. (laughs) That's what the New Testament is all about. God the Father, if you look in chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You who were formerly far off, that is the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself, that is Christ, is our what? It's our peace. Not just our peace with God, but peace between the Jew and the Gentile. God the Father in the Son broke down the barrier the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile in Christ. And he reconciled both Jew and Gentile to himself by the blood of Jesus Christ, or we could say by the cross of Jesus Christ. And folks, that that event, if you look back in Ephesians 1, that event magnifies and shows the working of the power of God. Look what it says in verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about when? In Christ, at what moment? when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is the evidence. This is the confirmation. This is the appearance of the strength of the might of God in Christ Jesus. Can you see that? God the Father desires for you to see that. And folks, to that end, Paul prays that you would see this. In Ephesians 1.17, he prays for an enlightened understanding in the knowledge of God the Father and of His purpose. That is, the mystery and the outworking of this mystery in the lives of believers, in the life of the church. And in Ephesians 3.16, he prays that God the Father would grant to believing people to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. The same power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is to be working in the midst of the church and its 
members. Glory, glory, glory to see and to behold these types of things. And folks, what this means is this, is that from the beginning all the way to the end, this salvation, this mystery that is being revealed and worked out in time in the lives of believers, it is all by grace. It's all by grace. Through faith, not of works. Folks, no man can work this in himself. This must come from who? It must come from God. And God alone doing that work in His Son and through His Son to fallen men and women. No amount of keeping the law can work this power or give this power to any individual. No amount of keeping the works of the law, setting up your own moral code, can work this righteousness and this power in the lives of a human being. We are helpless before God. All we can do is do what the Scripture tells us. To believe in what God has done through faith to believe in what He has done in Christ so that we might receive the righteousness of God not by works, but by what? Faith in Christ. It has to be an alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of ourselves that is imputed to us through the grace of God, through His Son, and then as we are born again and as we have received life, then we work out this great salvation to the glory of God. And folks, when we do this, we are bringing glory to God the Father in the church through His Son. When we, as it were, having been saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast, when we, as it were, now believing, get in the ball game and walk according to this eternal purpose, that brings glory to God. Paul calls it walking a worthy walk. And that worthy wall begins with our desire to grow up in all things in Christ. When a person gets born again, they're a baby. And it's to their benefit from them to acknowledge that they are a baby right from the start. Most of the time, babies think they know everything. But babies don't know anything, right? All they know is they're alive. New desires, like newborn babes, desiring the sincere milk of the Word so that you may grow thereby. Everybody hear that? 
Growth into Christ, growth in conformity to the image of God in Christ is the one thing God calls for us to do. It is the main thing. And as I wrote in our bulletin today, what's going to be different for you in 2023? Nothing. Nothing that really matters. What's going to be different for you in 2023 could be everything that really matters. What really matters? Growing up in all things in Christ. And folks, we ought to be able to discern that in our lives. Now folks, when I'm talking about growing up in all things in Christ, I'm just not talking about you gaining knowledge. It begins there. But I'm talking about the knowledge living in you and you walking in accordance to that light of that knowledge. Folks, it's one thing for us to know we're to love God and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's another thing to live it. It's another thing to live cruciformly for the edification of your wife, husbands. It's another thing to grow up in Him, ladies who are married, by being submissive to your husband. That's a different type of rub, isn't it? One thing to know the facts, another thing to live out the facts. And folks, we're to live out these glorious truths to one another in the church. This is that worthy walk. And God the Father has gifted the church, the body of Christ, He has gifted that body with certain men. Look in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, the building up of the saints, for the work of service, that is the exercising of the fruit of the Spirit one to another so that the building up of the body of Christ occurs. Folks, this is absolutely critical that each member of this local New Testament church takes this very seriously. The life and growth of our congregation depends on you laying hold of this. Everybody see that? It's not all, let's let the pastor lay hold on that. It is critical that the pastors and teachers and evangelists lay hold of this. But my laying hold of it is the same as your laying hold of it. It's the one thing you're to be doing. It's the one thing I'm to be doing. And folks, when a church is gathered around that eternal purpose of God, you have a New Testament assembly in which Christ walks in the midst thereof. It may not be very flashy, It probably won't allow a New Testament church to have a Super Bowl party on Sunday. It probably won't be very appealing to the world. 
but it will bring glory to God. And that's why we were created. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to what? Enjoy Him forever. This is the eternal purpose that you and I have to lay hold upon. And folks, if we lay hold on that eternal purpose, all the other sub-purposes will fall in line. Like who you're to marry, what you're to do, where you're to go, all these things just fall into play if you make this your, this your one aim. And folks, it's all for the building up of the body of Christ. Now we concluded several months ago <clears throat> with that emphasis. And in verses 17 and following, what we have is a unit in which Paul is introducing, I'm going to call it a new topic, it's not a new topic, but it is a new topic in the sense of a new emphasis in what he's writing. You'll see that in verse 17, so this I say. Literally, it's now I say. And Usually whenever Paul begins a section with the word now, he's introducing another subject. He's concluded that which is previous before. Now he's moving on into whatever he wants to say. Verses 17 through 24 act as a unit. And verses 20 and 21 is the pivot point. So what you have is on one side of the pivot, you have verses 17 through 19, the walk of the Gentiles. Everybody see that? Don't walk like the Gentiles walk. And folks, when we're talking about walking, we're not talking about knowledge. We're not talking about position. We're talking about behavior. Everybody with me? And folks, usually when you're preaching and teaching, as long as you're in the knowledge area, nobody's squirming. It's when you start talking about behavior or the outworking of it that people start squirming. On one side of the pivot, a walk just as the Gentiles walk. And you'll see that again, verse 17. Don't walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. It is a walk, look at verse 22, that is our former life. It's our former manner of life. You had a manner of life, then you were born again, now you have a new manner of life. It is a life and a walk that was accordance to our corrupted old self. You'll see that in verse 22 again that you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Everybody see that? So there is, that's one way to walk, like our former walk. And we are commanded by the Lord Himself not to walk that way. And Lord willing, next Lord's Day we'll take a look at what that walk looks like foundationally. On the other side of the pivot is this new self. And you'll notice in verse 23, he calls it the spirit of your mind. 
So folks, where is this located at? It's located in new ways of thinking. Being wired differently. It's not just the externals. The externals have to come because something's happening inside. Lost people can fake the externals. They can't fake the internal. This is the spirit of our mind. Verse 24, it's called the new self. And it's called, verse 24, the likeness which God created. Everybody see that? In other words, folks, this is something that you lost and now you gain again. Everybody see that? The new self which is in the likeness of God implying that as lost people we don't have what? We don't have the likeness of God. But now being regenerated in the likeness of God has been created and the likeness of God that is created is in righteousness and holiness of truth. Everybody see that? Would you call that radical differences of behavior? And folks, I want to remind you that there's no gray area in between these two. No middle ground in all of this. And folks, he's going to go on. He's talking about this old self, your former manner of life. Now he's talking about the new self that's been created in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to give some examples of this. They're not inclusive, meaning he's not being exhaustive in giving the examples. Here's the example. Look at verse 25. What is our former manner of life according to deceitful lust? It is walking in falsehood. Everybody see that? And folks, I want to remind you, it just doesn't mean that you're walking around lying. It's falsehood in the way in your inner man. But instead of walking in falsehood, what would be the new self in Christ? Speaking truth, each one of you with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. Everybody see that? Former man of life, now the new self. Or look in verse 26. Here's the way lost people walk in anger. Do you realize that? Folks, how quickly can you ignite a lost person to anger? Just confront them with any moral law you want to confront them with. And they will respond in anger. Can a believer in the new self be angry? Yes, Yes, but no sin in that anger. Everybody see that? There is an anger that has no sin. So, be angry, yet do not sin. 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Lost people are forever giving Satan a platform to work off of. Or this, look at verse 28. <clears throat> Farmer manner of life, <clears throat> stealing, abusing, taking advantage, taking another man's stewardship. Well, in that manner of life, what's the new manner of life? No stealing, but instead working. Working with your hands. And folks, I want to remind you that in the Greek day, working with your hands was considered very slave-like, menial, disgusting labor. God elevates that to a place of this is the new man willing to labor with his own hands so that he will have something to share or to give with one in need. What is the old former life look like? <clears throat> it looks like this in speech. Look at verse 29. Unwholesome words. Verse 31. Bitter words, wrathful words, angry words, clamor words, slander type words, malice type words. Everybody see what Paul's doing? This is the former manner of life. Believers are not to walk like that. Does everybody see that? Wouldn't it be a great thing in 2023? is if the Holy Spirit could put a bridle on your tongue. That those little fangs that you have in the back of your mouth that you don't know that are there, that come out like a snake and just inject its poison into its victim. Wouldn't it be a great thing if the Lord broke those off? Folks, imagine a world where no unwholesome speech will ever be. These things ought not to be in the house of the Lord. And folks, what is this new self? Look in chapter 5, verse 2. It is a walk in love. What is the old self? Verse 3, immorality, impurity, greed. Verse 4, what is the old self? Filthiness and silly talk, coarse jesting, which is not fitting. But what is the new self? Giving of, giving of thanks. Boy, that's a rare jewel in our world today, isn't it? When people come into a local New Testament assembly, they should just see a thankful people. Regardless of what you have or you don't have or what you wanted and didn't get, just a heart full of thanksgiving for this great mystery that has been, is being worked out in your life and in my life. No greater riches a person could have Now folks, Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 20. <clears throat> he writes that there is a way 
in which the church learned Christ. Everybody see that in verse 20? He talks about the former manner of life that you are not to walk in. And then he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. There is a way that the church and you and me are to learn Christ. Now I want to ask you a question. We know learn Christ means this. Not walking in the manner of the Gentiles. We know that learning Christ is putting on the new self. And all the ramifications of that. Everybody see that? you got the pivot there. You've not learned Christ this way. In other words, folks, was what I just said to you, not walking in the manner of the Gentiles, but laying aside the old self and putting on the new self which is created in righteousness and holiness of truth, was what I just said part of the preaching of Paul when he evangelized them? Or was it part of the teaching of them to observe all that Christ commanded? In other words, when Paul proclaimed the gospel to them, was he just proclaiming 1 Corinthians 15? That Christ died, was buried, they rose again, and was seen. When Paul said, I only want to know one thing among you, Jesus Christ in Him crucified, was he merely saying that what I gave to them was the Romans' road? And I just kept giving them the Romans' road all the time. Now folks, that's a very, very valid question for today. Because what I just have said to you, I have heard preached and I have heard communicated to me that that way. Was what I just said to you part of the preaching of Christ crucified in Paul's evangelization of the Ephesians or was it part of the teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded as He instructed them? And folks, the answer to that is yes. It was both. And I want to show you that in the text. Look at verse 20 and 21. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Now know verse 21. If indeed you have heard 
him. Everybody, everybody see that? If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. Everybody see those two emphasis there in that text? <clears throat> Folks, when that phrase comes to us, hearing Christ, if indeed you have heard Him, that phrase is generally associated with the initial gospel proclamation. And I want to show you that here in this book. I want you to turn back to Ephesians 2. And Paul is talking about <coughs> that Christ is our peace, verse 14. <coughs> and that what God has done in making two Jew and Gentile into one new man, thus establishing peace. Verse 16, and reconciling them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. Then he says to the Ephesian church in verse 17, and he came. Now who's the he? Christ. Christ. And he came and preached peace to who? You. you. Everybody, everybody see that? All right. Now folks, I want to ask you this question. When did Christ go to Ephesus and preach to them? Folks, did Christ ever leave Israel? When He walked on earth, <clears throat> He even told them, I have been sent to the house of Israel. When the Gentiles started clamoring to come see Him, He acknowledged that, <clears throat> but then He turns to that Seraphonician woman and He said, you know what? You don't cast pearls before who? But it says, Paul's using a passage from the Old Testament that says, Christ came and preached to them. Who's the them? You who were far away. That's the Gentiles. And he preached peace to those who are near. That is the Jew. Folks, when did Christ come and preach peace to the Ephesians? Folks, He came and preached peace to the Ephesians through the apostolic company. That when Paul preached to them, they were not hearing Him. They were hearing Him as the very words of who? of Christ. Isn't that what he wrote to the church at Thessalonica? When you received me, you didn't receive me just as a man. But you received me as one bearing the very oracles of God. And Paul and that apostolic company went and he preached to them. And folks, when they preached and they heard 
Christ. Everybody see that? Then they were saved. The phrase, if indeed you have heard Him, is referring to that initial evangelistic moment. So folks, we can say with all confidence that Paul just didn't get up and say, point one, Romans 3.23. Point two, Romans six. Point three, Romans ten, nine and ten. Right? He did preach that. He preached Christ. But he also preached the ramifications of what that was. He actually preached to them that if you come to know Christ, if you would hear Christ and be born again, you would be a new creation in Christ in which you would no longer walk like the Gentiles walk. You would have the righteousness of God imputed to you. You would have the power of God through the Holy Spirit rebirthed inside of you that the image of God in Christ would be created in you in all righteousness and all holiness of truth. That's amazing, isn't it? And folks, look at verse 21 again of Ephesians 4. If indeed you have heard Him, that's past tense, right? And have been taught in Him. Now folks, the only people in Him are believers, right? In other words, being taught in Christ is teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. It's instruction. It's what he's doing here in this book for those of us that are in Christ. Folks, a church is to be instructing believing people don't walk as you used to walk. but be renewed in your mind. Which is exactly what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, right? I could say to you, be conformed into the image of Christ. I could say to you, be transformed in the way you think. I could say, embrace the truth. I could say, take the truth and engraft it in your soul. I could use all those phrases and many others to say the same thing Paul was saying. Be renewed in your your mind. How you're wired. The things you default to. Now folks, this has major ramifications for our day. I actually had a man... I heard him preach this and he had communicated to me on several occasions saying something along these lines. I'm not quoting, but when you go soul winning, you really don't want to tell them the demands of Christ. 
Because that might scare them away from being saved. In other words, you shouldn't tell them that to come to Christ means they have to abandon their sensuality. They have to abandon shacking up with that woman. They have to abandon their homosexuality, their lesbianism. They have to abandon their fornication. They have to abandon certain ways of speaking. You don't abandon all those things to get saved. But having been saved from those things, now you no longer walk after that manner of life. Everybody following me about this? And I remember a time where this really just really worked me over about whether or not this was accurate or not. I was visiting a man, and we were on visitation. The man invited me into his home. I looked around. I noticed that there were typical things of the world there in that home, types of media, types of magazines, types of uh, chemicals that were there. And I remember sitting down in a chair and him sitting right there and I preached Christ to him. And he listened intently. And I brought him down to a decision. I said, what are you going to do with this? You, you need to flee to Jesus Christ and ask to be made a new creation in Him. And I paused. And there was this long silence, probably 30 seconds or more. And then he said this to me, I don't want to give up smoking. Wow, of all the things that you're comparing the riches of Christ to, to a cigarette, I, I was a young boy. I was just like, <laughs> what do you do? Well, this is what I've been taught to do. Well, you don't have to give up cigarettes to be saved. Now, folks, is that true? You don't have to give up cigarettes to be saved. But he made it an issue. Right? He told me what the stumbling block in his heart was. And this is what I said to him. I said, if you come to Christ and get saved, you will have the power to give that up. Don't know I would have said exactly that way today, but that's what I said back then. And the man rejected Folks, he rejected eternal life for a pack of cigarettes. And lost people do that all the time. They will not abandon their fornication. They will not abandon their sensuality. They'll go to a church that says, oh, you're saved? Well, you can stay in that fornication situation all you want. And Paul says... You didn't learn Christ that way. Everybody hear that? 
Folks, do we really hide the fact that the gospel of Christ involves a new birth and a new walk? Do we really hide that from people just so we can get them to say a prayer? Do we take the gospel of Jesus Christ and morph it into a set of facts that has no power in people's lives? That they're just accepting a set of facts, but they really don't want to be saved from their sin. What they really want is not to go to hell, the penalty of their sin. And folks, if you give them the gospel in such a way that they think that they can be saved from the penalty of hell and still keep their sins, they will grab it. That really appeals to a lost person. But you'll notice what Paul says in Ephesians 5, that after he talks about immorality or any impurity or greed, not even be named among you. So folks, how many immoral people professing Christ should we have in our congregation? None. Or filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, verse 5, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't be a partaker with them. Everybody see that? Folks, if you truly have learned Christ, you didn't learn Christ that way. You learn Christ in such a way that when I say to you, put off the old man, you're saying, Amen. Because that's what I want to be saved from. Do we really tone down and say that the new birth is just an acceptance of facts that doesn't change the affections of my heart, that is the motions of my heart, the motions of my will? Do I actually say to people, as I have heard preached, that you can... You can have new life in Christ and not be changed. Think about the ludicrousness of this. God entering into a soul and nothing changes. It's ludicrous for us to say, well, you know, you can come to Christ and you can have no change and then 20 years later you can rededicate your life and then all of a sudden everything changes for you. When you live, you're changed. And when you live, you've been born again. And it is a work of God by grace you have been saved through faith. Everybody see the implications of this? And folks, I run into people, I've actually run into people who profess Christ and when you start preaching to them, not the little cherry-picked verses or not just the Romans row, but you start really preaching line upon line, precept upon precept, they will say to you in so many words, this isn't what I bargained for. 
And you know that the Gospels bring this out when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life and you've got to partake of my flesh and drink of my blood. Many turned back from following Him. They didn't inquire in what that meant. They just turned back. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Didn't our Lord say to count the cost? Folks, there is a gospel not of the apostles. There is a way to learn Christ not from the apostles, and that is walking just as the Gentiles walk. It's walking in your darkened understanding. It's walking in the ignorance that is in you. It's walking after the hardness of your heart and the callousness of that. Folks, I run into people sometimes and they'll say, well, I, I see what the Bible says, but I, I just don't feel convicted about it. That's a callous heart. Folks, a callous heart is a heart that doesn't feel How in the world could a man be on death row who raped tens upon tens of women and murdered and strangled them and say before he dies, I just want you to know basically I'm a good man. Don't walk that way. And there is a gospel that is of the apostles. It is learning Christ in reference to our former manner of life, laying that aside, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, and walking after the new self that has been created inside of us. And folks, as I conclude, if you, if you want to sit back and you want to argue with me about this, if you want to say to me, well, that's not the way I see it. I, I don't think you're right. I, I think you're making it too black and white. I want to bring to your attention what Paul says in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. <clears throat> he says... Now this I say and affirm together with who? Everybody see that? Now folks, Paul could have just said, this is what I say. And it would have been just as inspired and just as binding, right? But he strengthens what he's about to say because the Holy Spirit of God knows that this needs to be strengthened. Paul affirms that what he says in verses 17 through 24, as well as the rest of the passage, but he affirms that this truth is directly from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And folks, the image of this that he's giving to us is the image of a courtroom. 
that what Paul is doing is he's bearing witness to what he heard from Jesus himself. It's like Paul's on the witness stand. And you ask Paul, did Jesus Christ verbally say to you that the church is no longer to walk just as the Gentiles also walk, that they are to lay aside their former manner of life and put on the new man, renewed in their mind, so that they would learn me correctly? And Paul would say, what? Yes. Yes. I am bearing witness. I am echoing exactly what the risen Christ said. And folks, that's what a preacher does. When I preach, it's like I'm in a courtroom. And you're saying to me, Pastor, bear witness to what he has said. That's a lot of responsibility from a pulpit or from a Sunday school lectern. It's a lot of responsibility that lays in your lap to echo what he said. That's what a witness is, isn't it? When you say, I'm going out to witness, what are you saying? I'm going out to tell people exactly what he said. This is what he said. He said to Paul, believers are to no longer walk like they formerly walked. Now I want to address lastly this other thing. Many times, preachers will preach this as if it's optional. You can do it. You cannot do it. But folks, that's not what a command is. Right? If I command my children, go clean your room. Is there any other option? They may give a bunch. They can even disobey it. But there's no option. This is not optional for a person professing to be a disciple of Christ. This is what Christ taught. This is what Christ wants instructed to His church. This is what Christ preached when the gospel was preached. There is no true preaching of Christ that states that discipleship is a later act subsequent to salvation. Now folks, when we get saved, there's all kinds of differing changes that occur. Right? There's all kinds of some radical, you take a person, you know, who's, you know, maybe maybe they've been a drunkard, a drug addict, maybe they've been homeless. They get saved. They're like the demon of Gadares. He's sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed. That's radical, right? In his right mind. 
And sometimes it's not as radical, but here's what's radical. The way they're thinking. Right? The way they're thinking. Something's happened in their heart of hearts that can only be created by God that gives them new desires the weak they are. Gives them new hungers. Gives them new want-tos and wills. Some more radically than others. But the core is all there. So I want to ask you this question. Have you learned Christ accurately? You say, well, I'm a believer, but I, I really don't think that, you know, I really learned it accurately. All right, what do you do? Renew your mind with this. Everybody see that? If you're here today and you say, you know what? All I got is fire insurance. There's been no change. There's been no change in my affections. Nothing. I just come and hear a bunch of do's and don'ts. You know, people around me, they look like they have some kind of relationship. I really don't understand that. What should you do? Be saved from all this and enter into the life that is only in His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's learn Christ accurately. Hear Him preach peace to us. And let's be instructed in 2023 more clearly, with more energy, to walk according to the renewing of our mind, according to the image of God that He created in us, that we see and are conformed by the Word of God. Let's go to Him in prayer.